When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. There's this great blend of like old characters that you'll recognise from Sherlock Holmes novels and stories of old um, and new ones that have been invented, especially for the film. And it's a great fun watch for children and adults alike. I think it's one of those films that can appeal to most age groups. If you like that kind of thing, if you like um, sort of classic detective stuff and people running about on trains in Edwardian England and marquises in peril and that kind of thing. Millie Bobby Brown is really, really great in it. And there's kind of like a lot of fun stuff. I think if I was maybe an eight-year-old girl, then um, it would probably have been my favorite film from last year. Hey everybody and welcome to this episode of Flixwatch Podcast. Today I'm joined by Claire. Hello. Patrick. Hi there. And Helen. Hello. And we're going to be talking about Enola Holmes. Thank you as always to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Welcome to Flixwatcher Podcast. Joining us remotely today, we have Claire and Patrick. If you please could both say hello and tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do, please. Well, hi, thanks for having me on today. I'm Claire Barrett. I present the Money Clinic podcast, which helps people to solve their real life money problems. And I write a column every weekend for the Financial Times. Now, everything I do is very much geared at normal people, not finance geeks. And if you subscribe to my podcast, we've got episodes about things like the best way of saving up for your first home, how to handle problem debt, and lots and lots and lots about investing, which is one of my top topics. But the one thing you won't hear is any jargon. This is very much about demystifying finance for, for ordinary folks. And I'm a regular finance guest on LBC Radio with Eddie Mayer most evenings. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Claire B to find out what I'm up to. And away from the financial world, I like to relax by reading lots and lots of detective fiction. So when, when you say, oh, I'm just going to lean into this choice that we... Uh... We're going to talk about later, well, shortly, but uh, Claire, we should say on your email, your Twitter is Claire, spelled C-L-A-E-R, um, even though there's many different ways to spell Claire, but uh, to find you on Twitter, C-L-A-E-R-B at... Yes, on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> I changed the spelling of my name 
when I was 11 years old and went to secondary school and found out how many other people were called Claire. So I just wanted oh, so you to did be it different. Yourself. Yeah, and now I'm now I'm stuck with it. And the first story, <laughs> <laughs> the first story that I ever had published in the Financial Times, the sub editors thought it was wrong, um, and so I got a phone call at home to check. But yes, that is how I spell my name. And when you're talking about finance and money, um, and you're trying to trying to put in intelligent layperson terms. Does that include cryptocurrencies? Is that is, do you do you demystify that, or do you kind of stay away from that kind of? Uh... No, um, I mean it's very much what people want to know about. I mean, I think that there is a huge surge of interest in any kind of investment that can be perceived as a get-rich-quick idea, because you know lots of people don't have very much money, and they would very much like to have a lot, mm. if anything, to to get on the housing ladder, which has just become you know this enormous asset bubble preventing most ordinary people even on quite high wages from uh, being able to own their own house so i think very much i understand where the interest in crypto comes from but what worries me is the complete absence of any form of regulation to protect people and the way that people have really punted these kinds of investments online i mean since i did a podcast which mentioned crypto i've had all kinds of um, coins send me messages over Instagram saying, if you mention our coin, you know, if people buy it, we'll give you a cut, you can get a commission. I mean, there's all kinds of oh, wow. shady things like that going on. I wrote a column about it just because I want people to know, you know, this is this is who you're, who you're dealing with. I mean, I think with a lot of these so-called alternatives, if you want to get into it, I'm not saying like, don't do it and never do it. But if you do do it, like don't bet your house on it, do a small percentage of your portfolio in these risky things. Uh, you know, it is like gambling. You know, don't bet more than you can afford to lose. Absolutely. Uh, Patrick, who are you? Hi. Uh, so my name's Patrick Mills. I'm a bookseller. I'm based in Hackney in East London, and I specialise in crime and detective fiction. And this is how I know Claire, because she's one of my best customers. Um <laughs> And in a way, it leads on to what we're going to talk about today because they're both crime films, loosely speaking. So my shop's in the basement of an independent bookshop called Pays of Hackney, which is in Lower Clapton Road. And we just reopened to the public yesterday. We've we've been spending spending a lot of time refurbishing it, getting it ready um, with COVID and the restrictions. So it's been a lot of work. But hopefully my section will be open again soon. So if anyone wants to come along to Pages and buy some second-hand books or buy some new books, then they'll be able to do that very soon. Well, absolutely. And so, yeah, good. it's good to see you guys are opening up again. Uh, and it's it's the 13th of April as we record this. So when you listen to this, when, whenever you listen to this, head over to the Pages of Hackney and um, look at what they've got on offer. Don't use Amazon. <laughs> yeah, don't use Amazon. Go Use your local independent bookshop. Um, we also do deliveries in the local area. That's within E8, E5, E9. And I'll, but I also have an online presence myself. Where it's called Field Books, which is on Etsy. It's like a, an online store. And Instagram is at Fields Books. So and you can check you can check out the Instagram. There's um, a lot of books on there and a lot of book related stuff uh, for people interested in second hand books and especially crime fiction, classic titles, uh, right up to new newer stuff. So there's there's lots of stuff on there, a lot of interesting stuff to to see on the Instagram and also on the online Etsy store. Well, we'll link to those in in the in the show notes, guys. 
Um, well, you guys both talked about enjoy, enjoyment of crime and we're here talking about an adjunct, I'd say, to one of the most famous crime uh, characters in history. And uh, that we're talking about Enola Holmes here, which is your choice, Claire. Can you tell us why you chose it? Although I can suspect why, surely. Um, and also give us a synopsis in less than 60 seconds. Sure. Well, when you asked me to come on your podcast... I thought, well, I can only talk about crime fiction because really that's all I'm interested in. There's lots of movies in this genre, so I just put Holmes into the Netflix search <laughs> engine um, and that was how it came up. Now, this movie was actually released under lockdown, so it's gone straight to Netflix rather than being at the cinema, which is a great shame because it's a captivating subject. I mean, if you imagine Sherlock Holmes, but female, that's the best way of summing up this movie. It's actually the younger sister imagined of Sherlock Holmes, teenaged um, Enola Holmes, who lives in a ramshackle country mansion with her mother, another figure which was absent from the original stories from Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. So we've got Helena Bonham Carter playing um, the mother, and then we've got Millie, Millie Bobby Brown, who you might know from Stranger Things, is absolutely fantastic. Um, as Enola, she's got no formal education whatsoever. Her mum teaches her all kinds of unladylike pursuits, um, like self-defence, blowing things up in chemistry lessons, playing um, ping pong across the dining table and smashing up all of the um Was it ping pong or statues. proper tennis? It seems it seems a bit more dangerous. <laughs> yeah, so I think yeah, 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 no, I think you I think I think you're right there. Yeah, anyway, so paying no regard to to all of the all of the family history, um, but you know, being very interested in word games, especially because of course Enola um spelled backwards means alone, which is a key part of the plot. But this has all been going on in the absence of Sherlock and his brother Mycroft, who are summoned back to the home when their mother strangely goes missing on Enola's 16th birthday. And the rest of the film is basically her quest to beat Sherlock, um, find out where her mother is. And along the way, she becomes embroiled um, with this other young teenage runaway um, who's actually a, a, a Viscount um, who's running away from his family for very different reasons and they both end up in London on the wrong side of the tracks in Limehouse in the East End pursuing... Um, Limehouse what? is the wrong side of the tracks up in there. <laughs> it probably still is. I think he famously said you couldn't go beyond Limehouse without needing Watson's uh, revolver. So there's this great blend of like old characters that you'll recognise from Sherlock Holmes novels and stories of old um, and new ones that have been invented especially for the film and it's a great fun watch for children and adults alike. It's a good family, well I think it's a, it's a nice modern family film isn't it? Helen what were your thoughts on, on Enola Holmes initial thoughts and uh, your thoughts on Sherlock in general? Um, I don't know whether I'm a massive Sherlock fan myself, I mean I like the, um, the obviously the most recent BBC adaptation and the um, Guy Ritchie films were were fun, but further than that, I'm not one of um, I'm not one of the huge huge fans. So I'd never heard of the the books that this is based on. So they're based on a series of uh, young adult fiction, that this kind of series, which I imagine probably due to the kind of success of this one, we'll probably see some more of those books. I didn't watch this when it came out. Not massively um, my bag. Just didn't really kind of wasn't one of the ones top on my list. Um, mm. That said, like Millie Bobby Brown is really, really great in it. And there's kind of like a lot of fun stuff. I think if I was maybe an eight year old girl, then um, it would probably have been my 
favorite film from last year well yourself patrick is always as a, as a crime as a crime fan how aware were you of these books and how um well what's your kind of interpretation of to, sherlock i have to confess i'm coming at it from a, as a big fan of sherlock when i was about sure. tw- 12 years old i wanted to be sherlock holmes <laughs> but um and that was when i was 12 years old that was a very long time ago um there was some quite famous adaptations on tel- on ITV with an actor in it. Claire and I have talked about this before called Jeremy Brett. They were sort of the iconic ones when I was that age. But I'd, as Helen mentioned, these are based on more recent books. I think the, 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 the woman who wrote them is called Nancy Springer. She, she's an American writer. And I, I had no knowledge of them prior to watching this. But I, I first watched it, I think it was about a year ago when it, when it came out on Netflix. And I watched it with my nephews, who are both boys, and they're mm. about nine and six at the time. And the nine-year-old enjoyed it. I think it was a bit, it was a bit over the six-year-old's head. But we, but we all, we all sat down and watched it, enjoyed it. I think it's one of those films that can appeal to most age groups if you like that kind of thing. If you like um, sort of classic detective stuff and people running about on trains in Edwardian England and marquises in peril and that kind of thing. So I was for really me, into the marquises in peril. Yeah. <laughs> no, for me, for me, it ticked a lot of boxes, and I, I enjoyed watching it again. I, the second time I watched it, I think I picked up on a few few other things that I maybe didn't pick up on the first time. Um, obviously, there's there's um, the fact that it's a, a female character is mm. makes it different from a lot of the other ad- adaptations. And there's there's been there have been many of them over the years, as I'm sure you all know. There's been lots of offshoots and uh, spin-offs. So no, but I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great fun. I think it's it's I think it's important that we have more. Well, I, I think I know it's important that we have more female led characters in in in. In all fiction, and it's um, it's a kind of a shame that it's a Sherlock Holmes kind of adjunct. But it, I, I want more and more female characters in TV and film and books. And I love the way you said you watched with your nephews, and the old one enjoyed it. And it wasn't because oh my god, it wasn't possible because it was a girl at the lead. It was just this fun story. And yeah. I think yeah. we just need to have more of those and put in front of boys and girls to realise that female-led characters can be awesome in the way that that Enola is here. I think I think it's important for for young boys now to to see they can see girls in action films and see them in roles like that where they're not well, just, just whether whether they're not just standard yeah. romance or wanting to be a princess sure. when they when they grow up. Although saying that, my my two nephews are a little bit younger than Patrick's. Um, they're five year old twins, and they're obsessed with Frozen. Um, mm. which is a Disney movie with two incredibly strong um, female characters and they dress up um, as, as her at home. Don't see any problem with that. They've got a Superman and a Spider-Man suit as well. But, <laughs> I, you know, I, I just think it's wonderful that they can relate to strong female characters as well as male superhero characters and not sort of see any big difference between the two. And that, that's it. This is this is a strong. This is a strong female character. I think Disney is up in their game with Moana, with Frozen, with Zootropolis, Zoo Zootopia, where the, the more female characters you have, the more male characters you have, it just becomes the norm, and you don't think twice. And people don't get pissed off when there's a, a Ghostbusters reboot with their this front of our women, or there's a you know the first ever Marvel film with featuring a female lead character is 20, 20 films down the line. It should be like second or third or first. 
in line because the people who push the uh, coins around think it's uh, people aren't going to watch it. Children are and, less judgmental, it would appear. They're a lot yeah. more forgiving and a lot more willing to give things a try than men in their 30s, <laughs> it would seem. <laughs> well, men in their 30s think people want... Well, and also, I guess... Millie Bobby Brown is great, and has, has everyone here seen Stranger Things? Yeah, I've seen it. I yeah. think I've seen all of them. It's it's not a series I got into, I must confess. But is it? Is it is, I think there's a deep crime basis to it with a bit of science fiction and yeah, a bit of eighties nostalgia. You could fit it into that sort of genre. I mean, Stephen <laughs> King and this, yeah, these yeah. good guys and bad guys. Um, although it isn't Stephen, isn't it? Not strictly Stephen King because it's, but it's sort of it's, based. It's on, a melange of a lot of the different eighties. Yeah. There's definite it stuff in there, and there's definite. Um, She's, she's very clearly the standout star from that. I mean, I mm. couldn't name any of the other Stranger Things actors apart from Winona Ryder. Winona Ryder. But she's obviously an adult. But out of the children, she she's definitely a, a standout for me. And she's yeah. she's a standout for this as well. Um, I think I would have liked a bit more Helena Bonham Carter because she looked like she was having a lot of fun. I kind of felt that Henry Cavill was sort of phoning it in a bit. He was maybe just kind of put there for maybe a big star and I don't know I thought he was a bit mis- maybe miscast um mm. and Mycroft was a bit sort of one-dimensional as well or maybe it was just the fact that she was so outstanding that everyone else kind of paled a little bit but it was a bit of a strange casting I think for me for as him as Sherlock I think that I think kind of the way they set up I thought was that she stands out more than the others I think Henry, I think Henry Cavill for me is a bit of a strange casting because he doesn't strike me as Sherlock. Um, maybe I'm just used to seeing him in, in big action Superman type roles, and Sherlock, even though he does get into scraps in places, he doesn't. He's not. He's six more foot. brains than brawn, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. There exactly. was none. Of, there was none of the dark side of Holmes. You know, the drugs and the inner demons. <laughs> he looked like he was, you know, come straight from an audition for a boy band. <laughs> <laughs> This is the thing about Sherlock. One of my friends had to tell me that he was like addicted to morphine, and um, it's just basically a, lo- a very, very loose canon. That's that's something I've never, I haven't seen much in the adaptations recently. I think maybe it's alluded to slightly, but it's um, it seems that that kind of darkness is something like why I feel I need to read the books to to get that. I mean, certainly not not in this film, and perhaps no. appropriately, seeing as, as children are the main audience. But in Elementary, which is sadly no longer on Netflix, you have to go to the other streaming service, beginning with the letter A, um, to get that one. But <laughs> Elementary is like the US version of Sherlock Holmes. And so for years, I didn't watch it because I just thought, what are they going to do? Um, this will be a travesty. But actually, um, Johnny Lee Miller of Sherlock is totally brilliant and the way that they have explained the drug use there is that he is a recovering heroin addict in modern day new york living Mm. in a brownstone his rich father has provided for him and his sobriety coach and living companion is dr joan watson so a female watson played by lucy Liu, which is an absolutely brilliant construct and i think that there are seven series um, of elementary. Oh, Certainly, okay. it, it got me through the first lockdown. <laughs> Thoroughly enjoyed it. I've not um, seen. I've not. I know of that one. I've not watched it myself. I think when it came out, it kind of felt a little bit like what they did with House in that kind of way, where that sort of style. So, um, yeah, in, in, interesting how they managed to bring in a female into the the sort of mythology of it in in quite a clever way i always thought that was quite a clever clever casting of um lucy Liu in that one yeah and without giving too much away moriarty when she comes in she 
<laughs> the arch criminal nemesis of Sherlock is revealed to be a woman, which I also thought was was fantastic. But it just works, you know. It's not something that feels contrived or a token sort of gesture. Um, it, it just makes it, you know, it gives all of the stories a new a new lease of life. And like the BBC adaptations, which are on Netflix, the um, Benedict Cumberbatch ones, you know, there's just some fantastic, um, you know, twisting of old plots and storylines in new ways that make it, frankly, a brilliant watch for anyone, even if they've never read the original Sherlock Holmes stories. But for people like me and Patrick, who have, you know, poured over them and subsequent, um, you know, fan fiction and, you know, ever read every single, you know, article or thing that they can get their hands on and mention Sherlock Holmes. I even subscribe to Sherlock Holmes magazine. That's how sad I am. Um, we we can wring even more out of them. This kind of begs the question, which is the first Sherlock book that you'd recommend people to to get into to get? So I remember reading Hand of the Basketballs when I was very young and everyone says that's not a Sherlock Holmes book. So which is the which is a, a good first Sherlock book to to read to get a flavour of well before maybe throw it to Patrick. I would I would actually recommend The Hand of the Baskervilles to me. Oh, really? Yeah, it's the best long novel, apart from the short stories, which are good, but then mm. you the earlier ones are better than the later ones because you got Conan Doyle got very fed up with having to bring him back from the dead and keep churning them out. Um, so the later stories not so good but I always thought The Hand of the Baskervilles worked in terms of a novel and in terms of a longer uh, like a detective novel the other the other novels that he wrote I think he wrote three others and they didn't okay. they didn't work as well as The Hand of the Baskervilles so I'd recommend that one other people said to me because he spends he's not much time with Sherlock so you don't get to see how his brain works as much and he spends a lot of time in a more yeah. Um, well, I'll, well I'll he, take he, your... he does. He does quite a lot of other Sherlocky things, like dressing up as a as a tramp, and you know nobody realizes it's him. Hmm. Uh, maybe the sort of the deduction aspect is less less in evidence there, but I think it, it, it's it, it's quite atmospheric of the play of the time and the place, and it's 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 one of my favourite ones. All right, I, I stand corrected. Um, how many of you guys have seen? I know Helen's seen Fleabag. Um, you, Patrick, and Claire, have seen Fleabag? I've Love seen Fleabag. Fleabag. Well, I think, Patrick, if you've not seen Fleabag... I've not then watched it. I didn't, didn't catch that one at the time. I think you should, having seen how many Bobby Brown works in this is there's a lot of breaking... Well, it's all about breaking the fourth wall in the Fleabag way, and this it, was directed by the director behind Fleabag, Harry Bradbeer. And as I was going through, I was like, this reminds me of something. I know something about this film. And I was like, oh, it's, yeah, it's directed by the Fleabag, and... You can see you can see why he's put together or why he you know pits for this film or, or put it all together because there's a lot of um, yeah let's say fleabag in in the mannerisms and how the story develops. I'm saying Claire, you seemed to excited by that notion. Oh yeah, I love fleabag. Well, you know, as, as somebody who spent most of my twenties too drunk to remember what was going on, totally appeals um, to to me. But the, the the effect of you know those like asides direct to camera, which I think is just so compelling um, when Phoebe Waller-Bridge does them. It also reminded me of um, Gentleman Jack. I don't know if you saw that one on no. the BBC. So this is a, a historical um, adaptation, and again, the lead character does those very jarring. Um, you know, director to camera pieces, which really add another element to um, to the retelling historical stories. So there's definitely form for it. Whether he was directing that as well, I don't know. I'd have to Google it. I loved Fleabag, 
but I wasn't 100% sold that I kind of felt that this worked in the best way and to the point where it was a little bit distracting for me, as were some quite ropey scenes. In, in, yeah, in, the, in, in this, in Enola in Holmes. Enola Holmes, yeah. I think because of having seen Fleabag, the way it's kind of done there is very different. So my brain was obviously like going, Ooh, oh, okay, we're in a child's film, it's okay. And I don't know, it didn't work for me personally. And there was also some very, 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 very obviously CGI London, um, which was cracking off, which I always think is disappointing considering, you know, you could make it look non-CGI as possible, um, which was a, a bit of a shame. It's always when the CGI pulls you out of uh, enjoyment watching a film is a bit of a disappointment. I didn't notice any of the CGI, so maybe, maybe I just wasn't paying attention enough. Some of the buildings were, and the sort of more famous kind of skyline was a bit... I think at one point they were in Somerset. It looked like Somerset House, and I know it looked a bit sort of, to the colours were quite bright and possibly that was CGI. But yeah, I didn't I didn't notice too much of that. I think there was one bit where they were supposed to be in Baker Street, but you had a clear and uninterrupted view of St Paul's Cathedral and I did think, hmm. Slightly like especially when you know London quite well and you're like, hmm, that's not right. And I think that's just from living in London and being quite familiar that whenever I watch a film with anything that has any kind of London in it, if it's not if it's crazy and inaccurate, I'm like, hmm. So, and then I start looking where was it filmed and checking locations and how much was actually filmed in London. And that's when I'm like, ah, oh, see, I should be watching the film. Yeah, so it was it was distracting from it. Um, yeah, I didn't notice. I didn't notice. Well, I thought, you know, I was I was kind of engaged and just pulled through all the way. How, how does Mycroft compare to to, to the character in, in the book? Because Mycroft was a character I didn't realise existed until Benedict Cumberbatch's um again i'm I'm on helen's side i I know super little knew very much they existed but couldn't tell you much apart from hands of the hand of baskervilles and uh i, I didn't know that mycroft was such a big character in he, in the stories he wasn't he was quite a minor character in the stories he didn't really come into it so much and he's seen as this very sort of ordinary boring civil servant mm. um and when he does come into the stories which is pretty brief fairly infrequently He's usually, Sherlock's had to go to him to get some sort of official information because he works for the government or, but he's certainly, I, I found the, the characterization of him in this one a bit jarring because it wasn't sort of, it wasn't uh, borne out by the character as, you, as he is in the books. But I mean, it's a minor quibble. They can do what they like with these, you know, they can use them as they see fit. It's, it's fiction. It's sort of, and it is fan fiction. So I guess they can... Yeah. They're they're allowed a certain license, shall we say? Yeah, he wasn't he wasn't given randomly. Well, not randomly. Um, bizarrely, Sherlock is the more, more compassionate of the two. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I'm just comparing with the the Benedict Cumberbatch version, where Mycroft is almost is seen as almost more brilliant than than Sherlock. I can't I can't remember how Mycroft came how how he was in the in the Benedict Cumberbatch smug, ones. smug, <laughs> self satisfied. <laughs> right. Um, definitely like the sibling with the kind of superiority complex. Um, mm. I, I I would say favoured son, whereas Sherlock's like the down and out druggie who's always been a bit of a problem. But it's amazing that people can 
build these characters in different ways because there was not very much information in the original stories about them. And I think it totally works to imagine that Sherlock Holmes might have had a younger sister. Helen, you talked about lack of Helen Bonham Carter being in here. And what what I really liked about her role and some of the ancillary characters, that was, was it Susie Wakoma who was in this as well, is the the suffragettes, or I'm not sure if it's suffragettes, I'm, I'm pretty much sure it's suffragettes because they're the more terrorist and the bomb-making side than, than the suffragists were. Would have been good to see more of that, I guess. What are your thoughts, Claire? Yeah, I mean, I suppose they're thinking that they could have quite a young audience who might not be very au fait with the suffragette movement. And this is kind of like a bit of a thumbsucker introduction to it as well as to Sherlock Holmes. But I thought that it was really clever that, now I have to confess, I haven't read the Nancy Springer book, so I don't know if she tried to do it in the book and they copied it in the film or if the director just just had the idea. But it's kind of the same point in history when Sherlock Holmes' stories are being written anyway um, and the suffragette movement is really building up ahead of steam. And I mean, it's quite amazing to think that it's only been a little over 100 years since women had the right to vote in the UK. Mm. And certainly that wasn't all women. You know, it was much later for women over over 30. So this whole idea that the wonderful Edith, um, who has the front of a tea shop um, for her kind of like business of running self-defence and we suspect bomb-making classes, um, (laughs) (laughs) kind of like genteel English ladies. Um, I thought that that was, was you know, a really quite exciting idea. And the whole way that Enola Holmes, her character has to grapple with the idea of not only that her mother has left her to pursue some kind of higher political aim but also that you know she's doing something that's criminally wrong you know she's making bombs she's trying to kill people cause you know huge disruption to get publicity for the 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 wider cause so i thought it was quite clever to put those themes into the story when it is just so chock full of brilliant um female characters for viewers of all ages to get hooked by and i do hope that there are more films to come in the series i'll certainly be watching patrick do you i don't know i don't know if you asked your your older nephew this if um was he aware of what that kind of story that part of the story was and Um, one of the reasons i asked this is because i i remember watching i used to watch mary poppins loads as a kid and it was only watching it as as an adult in my mid-30s i was like oh right there's a strong versus women kind of theme going through this and Mrs. Banks is a, is a staunch advocate of, of, of women's suffrage. Again, I'm not sure which, which whether she's on the terrorist uh, suffragist side or the suffragist side, but um, it was still, it's, it's something I didn't pick up in the early stories, in the early watches. I think it was, when I when I watched it, I mean, we it was a Saturday afternoon and it wasn't something that we uh, got into to sort of discuss later, but I mean, I think he must have been when you, when you're that age, you you are going to be aware of that's something that's going to come through that mm. that sort of political side to it. But I, one thing I noticed about him is that the stuff he studies in school is very different from the stuff I studied in school. He learns about different t- kinds of people, different um, areas of history that when I was at school we just didn't. You know, we did um, even at that age, you didn't really cover a lot of stuff. So I'd like to think that he would have a bit of background and a bit of knowledge of things things like the suffragette movement the movement for women's rights colonial history just different different aspects that that might be might come up in films like that so that 
it's it's something that's he's going to be aware of and have some some knowledge of if not yeah. uh, direct experience of and again in the same way of how, has having female fronted films it's good to have that kind of those kind of storylines weaved in woven into films that uh, that make it just a standard part of the conversation should we head to the scores Hello folks, I'm Sam. And I'm Martin. And every week for the last five years, we've got together to talk about the musician Tom Waits. He's a gravelly voice singer that sounded like he doused his vocal cords in bourbon and set fire to them with a cigarette <laughs> and wrote such classic songs as Way Down in the Hole, Downtown Train, Jersey Girl. Uh, he's also the gravelly voiced actor from films such as The Ballad of Buster Scruggs and Seven Psychopaths, both of which coincidentally are on Netflix and both of which Kobe and Helen have discussed here on Flixwatcher. So make sure you check those episodes out. And when you have a little bit of a taste for the magic that is Tom Waits, why not head over to songbysongpodcast.com or search for Song by Song in your podcatcher of choice to listen to a little bit more about Tom Waits. Let's head to the um, the spreadsheet of dreams where the scores are locked tightly forever in our spreadsheet. All of the scores are out of five. You may have decimal places if you wish. And we'll start with you, please, Claire, with your recommendability. Oh, definitely a five. I think that anyone could watch this and, and enjoy it. Patrick? I'd go along. I'd say five for recommendability, definitely. Wow. Coming out of the gate strong here. Uh, Helen? I'm a little bit lower. Um, I think its audience is quite specific in that it's definitely going to appeal more to kind of a a younger audience than maybe a kind of older, more broader audience. I think for me, it was quite long and some of the sort of pacing was, was a little bit too long and not quite, not for me, I think, I enjoyed watching it, um, but it's uh, whether I'd be that inclined to go out and seek the other ones from this, I'm not sure. But I'm pretty sure kind of parents will find it kind of a, a welcome thing to to put out on and watch with them. Um, so I'm gonna go for three point seven. Um, I'm gonna go for four. I, I was looking forward to watching it when I heard it came out. Um, and I'm not sure why I didn't at the time. I think there's just other things going on. Um, and I think, as Helen said, I think it's a touch long for, for the target audience, but I don't think it skews as young as Helen possibly thinks or feels. I, I think I was, you know, I was super happy watching it, and I do put it very much in the family camp. And if, I think if you have any slight interest in Sherlock Holmes and other kind of ancillary stories, then definitely yeah, search it out. Uh, repeat viewing score, Claire. Oh, well, I've only watched it once, but there are so many things in it that I think I missed that Patrick's mentioned. I definitely feel I should watch it again. And also, if you do play films to young children, as you know, um, they often want to watch them many times. So, yeah, I would say (laughs) 4.5. Oh, wow. Patrick? Um, Yeah, I'd probably say 4 that i've watched i watched it twice and the second time i watched it i definitely got got stuff out of it that i didn't notice but that i wasn't noticing the first time around possibly i wasn't paying too much attention enough attention the first time around but i think it's something that stands up to to a couple of viewings yeah so was that four four helen um i'm probably less inclined to visit it mainly because it's it's quite a long one and my list of films are 
getting longer and longer and longer and longer and longer. Um, But that said, if someone hadn't seen it and I went round and they said, do you want to watch it? I wouldn't say no, I don't think. So I'll go down the middle, 2.5. Yeah, I'm going to go 2.5. I'm not sure when I'll watch it again. Probably, yeah, happy to do so, but I can't think um, it'll be a freaking rewatch for me. Small screen score, Claire. Ooh, that's a good one because most of the Sherlock things that we've been watching in recent years have been on the small screen and they have Mm. been shorter, about 45 minutes to an hour. But this is kind of divided into two halves, um, the story. So I definitely think it could work on the small screen. And seeing as it was a cinema release that went straight to Netflix, I think that that could definitely be the way for future ones. So I'm guessing four. You're guessing four? Sorry. I am am saying four, decisively (laughs) and authoritatively. Patrick? Um, I think for the small screen, I mean, the first time I watched it was on a bigger screen, more a large television, and second time was on a laptop. Um, I think, yeah, it, was, it works pretty well on the small screen. I'd probably say three, uh, three out of five for that. Okay. Helen? So um, this obviously came out during kind of peak lockdown, wasn't it? So. Um, I was interested to find out a little bit more of this. So in its debut weekend, it was the second most watched item on Netflix. Uh, the top one was Ratchet. And over its first five days, it was the most watched film on Netflix and would go on to become the biggest first day opening Netflix title in 2020. So a lot of people what, watched it. When, what date was it released in, in on Netflix? What month? Uh, it doesn't give me a day. Oh, hang on. Uh, September 2020. Okay, so it wasn't like right at the point when people... No. I guess this is when people were... Films are kind of coming back to cinema, but also then weren't. So this is... And, it, and some films were coming out with it were, were paid for, like Mulan, for example. So I can I can kind of see that why that happened. But even more... So it's, it's ranked seventh on Business Insiders. Biggest Netflix original movies of all time with 78 million viewerships. So a lot of people watch this. So... It's pretty clear they're probably going to ramp it up for another one. So another one may be incoming. Um, I'm kind of a bit mixed on this because it feels very much like it would be quite suited to the cinema and that I imagine going to the cinema with a group of children, not my own, borrow them for the afternoon, would be quite a riotous affair. Um, But that said, I mean that many people watching at home it's kind of like well maybe it, it is suited for them um i'm gonna go four yeah i think i'm gonna get quite high here um 4.5 for me i think it'd be great. i think it's i think it's perfectly great for watching at home um yeah like i said i think it's one of the things will be like a, a sunday family film sit down and watch it kind of thing and i don't think the special effects were that great um there wasn't much in the soundtrack so yeah, I'm going to go for for four point five engagement score, Claire. Yeah, I would give it a very high engagement score. Um, I didn't want to press pause at any point, so yeah, four point five. Patrick, I found it fairly engaging. Um, I, it wouldn't have stopped me from pausing it and going to make a cup of tea or something like that. I think because it's fairly, and for the most part, it's quite light-hearted. Um, it's not something that sort of grips you on the edge of your seat. It's something you sort of go along with. Um, so probably engagement, I'd say about three point 
five, I think, for me. Helen? Yeah, it's one of those that you can kind of definitely have sort of in the background and zone in a bit further when the kind of action points or key points um, get in there. There was a bit sort of the middle where she's looking for, what's his name, Tewksbury. And it kind of, I felt like I really wanted the story to kind of move on a little bit faster. And it's just the pacing in it. The pacing is it wasn't quite right, I don't think, for me. I thought they could have made it a bit more, just just liven things up a little bit. So I'm going to go with Patrick with a 3.5 on engagement. Yeah, I'm going to go for a four here. I think the, I, I did watch in a couple of chunks. And one thing I found is that you need to be looking at the screen because it's quite easy to miss things like going into that, um, the warehouse and limehouse and you have to pay attention to see there's the, there's a, that purple ribbon on the on the lock, for example. So there's things like that you could probably miss. And I think this is maybe where Patrick said on second watching, you picked up things he didn't do the first time. Um, so I think you, if you're going to watch it, then you need to be somewhat engaged. If you're looking at, I think if you're looking at Twitter, you'd miss out a lot of the different things. Um, so I'm going to go for a four. And that gives us an overall score of 3.88750, uh, which good. is fairly decent, which is fairly decent. I think lost a few points in repeat viewing, uh, mainly. Should we head over to Twitter? Guys, do follow us on Twitter. We are at FlixWatcherPod. Uh, and one of the main reasons to follow us is because we do put a shout out asking for your engagement on the film uh, before we go into recording and put out tweets like this. Uh, we're reviewing Anil Holmes with Claire B from the FT Weekend and Patrick Mills from Pages of Hackney. Have you seen it? Give your thoughts and your score out of five stars for an on-air shout out. Uh, we had a couple of responses. Uh, Claire, do you want to pick one? Um, yeah, Stephen Lopperidge replies to your tweet. Great fun, good performances, especially Millie Bobby Brown. Agree there. And Henry Cavill, disagree. But it does seem to be <laughs> setting up for something bigger. Four stars, he says. Yeah, it seems like there wants to be more there, certainly. And uh, if there's more books, then, you know, why not? Um, Patrick? Yep, I've got one from Lee Thomas, who says, very fun, interesting addition to the Holmes catalogue. Millie Bobby Brown is excellent in the role and I'd happily watch more. 3.5 stars. Yeah, kind of tallies with what we're saying here. Awesome. Thank you very much, guys. Can you quickly tell everyone who's listening where they can find you online and uh, we'll say goodbye to all the fans? Sure. If you want to follow me on Instagram and Twitter, I'm at Claire B, which is spelled C-L-A-E-R-B because I spell my name in a funny way, but people remember it. And my <laughs> podcast comes out every Tuesday. Um, it's called Money Clinic with Claire Barrett. And you can subscribe to that wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, you can find me at, at Fields Books on Instagram. That's uh, lots, lots of stuff, different books and book-related stuff on there. And also on Etsy, the online shop, there is a Fields Books store on there. So have a look on there and first book, second-hand books for sale. Guys, thank you so much for spending time and watching in Hell Homes for this podcast and for this episode. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming on. Bye. 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 Enjoyed this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five-star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at Flix Watcher Pod on Twitter and we're at Flix Watcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Ben and that's Rockwood, R-O-K-K Wood Audio. Tell them Flixwatcher sent you.
You just heard a stripped media production.